It's midnight, and you're listening to Midnight Theology, a podcast where we talk all things Christianity, leadership, culture, and life as they relate to the Wesleyan Methodist movement. I'm your host for today, Larry Frank, and I'm joined by Gabe Wank. Hello. Sarah Wank. Hey, y'all. And Adam Penn. Howdy. And we get that it has been many moons, many midnights (laughs) since our last episode, and we apologize for that, but... Yeah, our show's about things that are set at midnight, so how organized did you really expect us to be? Grab a drink, maybe a blanket, let's do this! So, last time uh, that we were together, we had a really serious episode. Uh, We talked about being church in a post-Roe era, Uh, and it was a hard episode, it was... um, it was a uh, difficult uh, territory to uh, to be transparent in, and uh, we tried to keep things lighthearted, but we felt like it was something that uh, needed to be addressed. Uh, and we got some great feedback uh, from all of you that uh, that listened, and it gave gave us a lot of courage for more difficult conversations in the future. Uh, but believe it or not, that was back in August that we did that. Hey. Yeah. Uh, so wow. what the what the heck have you guys been up to for the last two months? I was running. And one day, for no particular reason at all, <laughs> I decided to go for a little run. <laughs> all right, so Gabe's been running. I, I, you need I, to give some I, commentary I, to that. I, I, I found the end of the line, though, because uh, my knees started to yell back at me. Uh, I was pounding the pavement, uh, just enjoying the year, uh, trying to trying to come out of the cave and up from the ashes a little bit in my own personal journey of, of recovery and working through grief and transition and all of the things. Uh, and I found myself needing to... Uh, just get out of the house and enjoy nature. So I was running, uh, you know, a little bit throughout the year, but uh, working toward uh, a couple different uh, races, a 5K, a 10K type stuff in uh, August, September. And so that's what I've been doing. Uh, and I, I did a lot of running in August and September. And now I'm not running uh, as I was. And I, I miss it. I do miss it. And uh, I need to figure out something else now. I feel like I've been like living in an airport more than anything. Like there's just, there's just been so much travel lately, like all the way back to, uh, like we recorded that last episode and then, um, left with, uh, my family and went to Florida. I was doing some, uh, some research for my dissertation and Brittany and the girls tagged along to get a little rest time. We had a great Airbnb with a pool, uh, which was great that we were in an Airbnb because we all got COVID while we were in Florida. Uh, so <laughs> that was lovely. Uh, but you know, we got everything delivered to the house and the girls loved the pool and, uh, it was pretty mild. Um, and then, uh, Sarah and I had intensive week, uh, in, in August, uh, in, uh, in Dayton. And, uh, then we turned around and went back to Florida uh, for more stuff with our doctoral cohort. Um, so, and then, uh, somewhere in there in the midst of (laughs) all of that, we actually had a vacation, uh, all three of our families together, uh, including the, including the kids. Um, but it just seems like such a distant memory now. I just, (laughs) it really does. I know, I know it was there. I know it happened, but for the life of me, I can't tell you when. But so yeah, it's just it's it's been a lot of traveling, a lot of work, um, and uh, uh, the the uh, uh, by the time this episode airs, Sarah and I will have submitted the first draft of our dissertations. Uh, so we're mm-hmm. nearing the home stretch on that. But man, has it been a whirlwind. So that's what I've been doing. Yeah, same. It's uh, 
<laughs> we, we've been um, absent on Midnight Theology because we're, like, decompressing from the difficult conversation of August. We needed, like, recovery time. I mean, the world was heavy at the moment. It was really heavy. And then, uh, yeah, lots of um, <clears throat> traveling with Larry uh, and Adam and Gabe in school. And then, you know, that thing happens where, you know, you're gone for a few days. And so then you're home and it's like a scramble, you know, to, like, um, pick up what was waiting while you were away uh, at work and at home or with other uh, relationships and dynamics. And so it's really interesting, right? Like you take time away to rest, but the scramble to kind of get away and then the scramble when you get back to catch up from being gone uh, just means that the last several weeks have been a blur. They are a blur. A good one. Uh, Get to see lots of people that I love and lots of time to enjoy things outside of our normal context. But it was a hustle. (laughs) It was a bit of a hustle. So a little more hustling this season. It's not quite over yet. But um, yeah, thankful for the connections and opportunities and um, seeing people, even if it is busy. Meanwhile, Jessica and I have been living the dream in Morton, Illinois, uh, basically just chasing our boys around everywhere, whether it's soccer games or piano lessons or whatever. Soccer is finally over. Uh, The final game of the season was held in the middle of a blizzard. (laughs) It It was was ridiculous. so, So weird. A blizzard in the middle of October. I mean, it was straight up chunks of snow and and it was right at the beginning of their last game and we're just getting pelted like i had a meeting at church that i had to go to straight from the game which the church is right across from the soccer field so it's kind of convenient um but i i walked into the church soaking wet because i was getting pelted by chunks of snow um so that was pretty crazy um but uh, meanwhile the four-year-olds don't care they're just like oh yeah they're they're just like <laughs> holding their tongues out having the time of their lives is great yeah so and then meanwhile all the adults who are underdressed and not prepared for a blizzard are sitting on the sidelines <laughs> freezing their butts off so <laughs> uh but uh yeah other than that you know things have things have been good uh in in life and ministry and in the pen household so yeah good Good. Yay. So, yeah, it is good to be back together and have a have a break from that. And we're glad to be back with you, our listeners. Uh, and we're going to be talking about um, something that's uh, really exciting today. It's something that's near and dear to my heart because um, my dissertation uh, is called Temples, Synagogues, and Tents. Um, and it's this blended ecology concept. Uh, you can go all the way back to one of our first episodes and hear about uh, fresh expressions in the blended ecology with Michael Beck. Um, but the 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 long and sh- the the very short version of my dissertation is that we need to be doing church in these both and ways, not just in our buildings on Sunday morning and a programmatic approach to ministry, um, but also in the fresh expression way of the shared third places where people already gather, like coffee shops and parks and and things like that. That those places too can embody the gospel and um, and be church. Um, but also in our homes, that's the that's the tent piece to that, um, and I think that's the pattern we see in uh, Acts chapter two that they gathered uh, daily in the temple courts and in their homes. Uh, and I, I've said a thousand times in a thousand different ways that I think uh, during the pandemic, most of our churches, our fault lines were exposed, and what we realized is that we were not nearly as deep 
as we had hoped we were. And I think the path forward for the church is smaller and deeper, not bigger and more shallow. Uh, and one of the ways we do that is um, by planting a church in every home, that every church becomes multi-site because we're equipping people to do church in life the other uh, six days of the week. Um, so that, that, that really excites me. Uh, I don't know that we figured this out well as a church yet. Uh, I was telling a young pastor the other day that I think the, uh, the church that we all went to seminary to lead no longer exists. So we're, yeah. we're, we're, we're building this bridge as we walk on it. Um, and we keep, yeah, we keep living in this idea, um, that, it has to be either or we can either invest in our campuses and Sunday morning services, or we can be a network of house churches. Um, but like I said, in acts two, I think we see this, uh, this living network of temple and home, uh, together. So even though we're, we're all just figuring this out, we probably have some great things that we do at home, uh, with our families that, that help us to embody a church, uh, in our home. So just real quickly, um, each of you, what's, what's something that, uh, that you do to embody, embody church in, in your home? Well, in the Penn household, we have nightly bedtime devotions. So, you know, Bible stories and, and prayers, and that's a a daily thing. Um, I would say maybe maybe one slightly less liturgical thing in addition to that would just be uh, family meals around the dinner table and making that a priority in our schedule. That's really good. We do morning devotions uh, and night devotions, prayers too. But morning is seems to be more consistent. Uh, sitting either with a Lectio app uh, or. Uh, sometimes if it's in the car, it's, uh, it's a, a seed bed or the, the wake-up call, but uh, just reading scripture, reading a devotional book. I think I stole one, two now, two now from the Frank house, mm-hmm. uh, swapped one out for the second one we're going through. It's, uh, oh, what is it, uh, 100 scientific... Yeah, they're, they're devotions for kids that, that are tied to yeah. science things. It's got, hold, how great is our God? Or yes, yeah, Louis Giglio. Like yep. Yeah. And it's oh, great Giglio. Stuff. Okay. Yeah, great. Great yeah. stuff. Really good stuff. Well, outside of, of the, um, go ahead, babe. <laughs> uh, I think one of the the practices that is, you know, it's not liturgical and official, but I try to be mindful of, and that is um, connecting everyday conversations to God. So, um, you know, how often we just are catching up on the day, um, talking about the weather, sports you know, whatever the thing might be, um, and shifting the focus a bit from, you know, just talking about it to talking about what's behind it a bit, you know, like how good is God, right? That he would, he would give us these friendships and connections and, uh, helping to connect the dots that God is behind everything. Right. Um, sometimes that is, um, you know, driving in the car and, you know, being nudged to pray for some difficult scene you stumble upon. Sometimes it's, <laughs> he gets really annoyed because I, at uh, this time of year, uh, when we're in the car, about every 16 seconds, I say, oh, look at that tree. It's the most perfect tree, right? As it's like changed color, but uh, but then talking, saying something like, you know, how, how good God is to give us something so beautiful, uh, you know, and he created that. Isn't that amazing? And uh, it's important to me to help you know, open his eyes to see that God is more than just the preaching that mom and dad do on Sunday morning, right? It's more than church. It's 
it's in and around us and, and um, happening if we open our eyes to it. So a lot of, you know, little conversation here and there. And so I think ours is, is probably more liturgical than not. Um, in our, our nightly prayer routine uh, with the girls, we use um, uh, Pete Gregg's model of P-R-A-Y, um, pause, um, rejoice, ask, and, and yield, or we say yes uh, is how we phrase it with the girls. What does God want you to say yes um, to? And it's probably my favorite time of the day. Um, just as I'm decompressing and I get to listen to to my daughters intercede. Um, for other people, they take very seriously when they hear that, that someone's sick or struggling um, to, to pray for them. Um, and they're great with that. And then we got the um, Living Room Liturgy book from Seedbed. Um, oh, yeah, it's a great mm-hmm, book. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so we we mark some times in the Christian year with that. Like we do uh, Advent wreath uh, lighting together on Sunday evenings during Advent. Um, and that's, that's really special. And just, there's just some different things you can pull out of there, um, to, to mark times in the, in the Christian year and Lent and just give some voice to, um, uh, to, to trying to embody the gospel, uh, in, in our homes. So that's, um, that's kind of, kind of our approach to it. Yeah. We used that resource for both Advent and Lent in, uh, in our house last year as well, or I guess this year too. Um, but I will drop a link to that in the show notes for anybody who's interested. It's a great resource. Yeah. It, it's really good. Yeah. Uh, you know, while you're at it, Adam, maybe drop, um, Gabe referenced it's a Lectio uh, yep. for families. There's an adult yeah. version and there's a family version that's really kid, kid friendly. And, and, um, it's something that you, you don't, you know, they can listen to, uh, you know, while they're eating breakfast, right? Or while you're, mm-hmm. you know, uh, preparing for the school day, whatever that is. And so that's uh, handy in a different sort of way. Yeah, definitely. So to help us talk about this today, we have a special guest, uh, Gannon Sims, who is a pastor, author, and songwriter. Uh, he's a founding team member of Fresh Expressions US, a movement seeking to bring the church of Jesus, the church that Jesus loves closer to the people that Jesus loves. So Gannon, welcome to the show. And you just went through a move. Uh, tell us about yourself and uh, what's going on with that. So- yeah, I just moved in the summer uh, to be a pastor of a church called Cliff Temple Baptist Church. It's in uh, urban Dallas, um, two miles from downtown in a really awesome neighborhood that's 70% Hispanic. And mm. it's also 30% hipster. It's kind of wild. <laughs> so it's kind of like the up and coming kind of, it's gritty. Um, it's not what you think. If, if you think of leafy Dallas suburbs with golf courses, that's not here. Um, you know, but we have some old and older neighborhoods. So bungalows, Tudor houses, um, and then lots of paleterias and okay. and it's, it's so this church is, uh, you know, if we're going to talk about the blended ecology, here we are. Um, so moving from planning, you know, house church communities with young adults on a college campus to a church that has remained committed to the neighborhood. They, they could have moved out at White Flight, which is what most of the churches in this neighborhood did. They committed to stay. They, they knew they were going to shrink, um, but they opened a homeless ministry. Mm-hmm. They planned a church for folks with mental illness 20 years ago. They planted house churches during the plant pandemic. Um, so it's a resilient congregation with a 1200 seat 
uh, auditorium and, uh, you know, 400 active members. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, wow. um, but you know, we, so they have this, we're a big church mentality, but we're really not a big church. So it's, it's, you know, they don't, they don't take no for an answer. They're like, we're, we can do this. We can do this. <laughs> so it's a very, very positive, um, vibrant, uh, group of people. So I, I came because God and, um, they've, they found me. I didn't seek it out. I, yeah. So here I am in Dallas. <laughs> wow. And, and, and that, um, that was a move from Virginia, correct? <clears throat> right. Okay. So I am a Texas native, um, and, but my wife's a Virginian and we haven't lived in Texas. I mean, we did two years in Texas, really just kind of real brief stint about uh, 12 years ago, but um, most of the last 20 years I've been on the East coast. So it's a different vibe, but then in this neighborhood, to me, I mean, the people here understand, it feels like Durham, North Carolina around me. Just the Durham meets LA. It's kind of like, it's just what I remember Durham feeling like when Durham was about to pop. So, which makes no, has no contextual kind of reality for you guys in Illinois, probably. But, um, hey, we get around. Sort of, we, we, we go places. You go, go, you go places. I mean, I'm just like, Durham's so weird and specific, but we live there. And um, so it's, it reminds us of that. So, um, we're not, we don't feel like total fishes out of water, but mm. you know, to move in the summer when it was 111 degrees for six weeks, it was just kind of like a little, a little bit like Lord, <laughs> I'm trusting you here. Um, yeah. So, so anyway, we, that's, we, that's it. So we've been talking about, um, you know, family discipleship, every house becoming yeah. a, a house church. And you just recently published a book with a seedbed called uh, bringing church home, how the family of God makes us a little more human. Um, so, um, you've been sharing a little bit about the church, but, uh, what kind of brought this, this book about for you? Yeah, the book, um, was brought about because we had been working with, um, college students and young adults for a really long time, recognizing that so much of our work wasn't, it wasn't about to be there, um, their, their pastor in the sort of like person in front um, subject matter expert. Uh, they needed a pastoral person in their life because so many young people um, in some way, shape, or form need refamilying. Mm-hmm. Maybe refamilied. There's a, there's a, a, a kind of an, there, I, there are maybe soft skills that were never developed because we're all looking at screens so often. Um, so our Carrie and I, um, our life and our home and our ministry working primarily with college students and young adults really became um, kind of like a family on mission, spiritual family, soft skills development, just come and, and let's be together, do life together. And let's, recognize that in that doing of life together, discipleship is happening and, and faith is being caught. Uh, so, so that was sort of our dynamic. Then we met up um, a- along the way with a Catholic priest and we start doing some joint Bible studies like Protestant evangelical Baptist leaning kids and Catholic kids. And, and there's just this beautiful way of um, kind of, Catholics reading the creation narrative and, and Catholics reading in the beauty of 
um, the creation of men and women as um, good in the eyes of God. And um, so there's this, this beautiful thing with the ark of creation and this ark of refamilying in the new family of God that we see in Jesus. So there's this kind of Catholic stream flowing. Then we get um, invited uh, uh, fresh expressions and the Virginia Baptists were on the ground floor of creating this conference um, and a movement called Missio Alliance. So we're at Missio uh, our board chair of Fresh Expressions at the time is speaking on stage in the main uh, plenary session at Missio, and he starts talking about this, um, what he called a nuptial reading of scripture. And I, I didn't know what that meant, but I heard him, the, the way that he was explaining his um, uh, understanding of scripture sounded very much like our Catholic priest friend back home. And so I I, I went and I, I shared with him a little bit of kind of about what we'd been talking about. And he's like, you've been talking this way. And he, so he introduced me to some other Catholic thinkers, one being a guy named Christopher West. And, and so we just talk, started talking about the infusion of theology and family and marriage. And the fact that you really cannot read the biblical narrative without a finding this story of, of family and marriage throughout the scripture. So if you you take that marriage metaphor out of the Bible, you just don't, you don't, the water runs out of the bathtub really because Israel um, is a married land. There's this marriage covenant between Israel and uh, God, the, the people of Israel uh, in the Old Testament. There is this uh, explanation of the apostle Paul. I can't quite under, I can't quite explain uh, how the relationship of Christ and the church works. But the best thing I've got is a marriage metaphor for mm. you, the great mm -hmm. mystery. And then smack dab in the middle of the scriptures is this, this often overlooked and misunderstood uh, a piece of wisdom literature called the song of Solomon. And, and, and that, that sort of informs of the scriptures becomes sort of like a song, a soundtrack for the Bible. So that's sort of how we were walked into this. And then the pandemic amplified it all because suddenly we are working from home. Mm -hmm. We are eating every meal at home. Home mm -hmm. becomes the only place we can legally meet together. And so we were working with young people who were going to school online and we did discipleship online. But if we had moved all of our programming online, we would have had, we would have had uh, either no people or just people who were much more lonely and depressed. So mm -hmm. we just opted for governor says we can meet in groups of 10. Let's figure out how we meet in groups of 10 safely outside front porches around fire pits and, and then eventually in inside homes once it was sort of deemed like appropriate to do so. So um, all of these things are at play um, as this book is, is being uh, conceived. So it's, it's been learning. That's for sure. Yeah. I, I, I love the, the kind of the integration with uh, some of the stuff from Pope John Paul II about theology, the body um, that's killer stuff. Um, and then, I, I think where churches are struggling with this idea, um, you hit really early on in the book um, talking about your own family. You said, as a family, we thought our role was to be involved in church, to volunteer at church, but I'm not sure we were ever taught that we were church. Uh, and, and and I think that's kind of that 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 duality that we're struggling against um, 
right now is you come to church to learn from professionals, not that that you embody the gospel uh, uh, in your in your home. Um, so, can you talk a little bit about what 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 kind of started to shift in your thinking around that that um, then led to these these other ministries with fresh expressions and and things like that? Yeah, so I mean, I had the the privilege of kind of being on the ground floor of fresh expressions. So, I mean, we've been talking about new forms of church, and we've been talking about you know. Uh, restaurants and parks and, you know, all the various places that we live, work, and play, but we hadn't really given the home an adequate run, I, I guess. Mm-hmm. And, and, and some of that's because you, there are folks that have just as much of a predetermination in their mind of house church as you of Sunday morning church. Um, house church and some of people's experience might be the people who got mad at the pastor and left and started meeting in their living room. And so you, you got to be really careful when we start talking about church at home, because it's, it could kind of, uh, kind of draw that sort of old kind of baggage into, into people's attention. So, um, when it was sort of explained to me through this this uh, long uh, journey that we were on with with theology of the body and and thinking about uh, every marriage as a little church, you know, beginning to think the fact that if if we've if we've got families that make up the big church and everybody already lives somewhere, and people are complaining about how busy they are and they can't add one more thing to their life, yet they all have a home <laughs> that they conceivably can spend some time there. Like th- then you start to start seeing this brilliant strategy for evangelism that's just like already there. It's already a blueprint that we have. We just sort of have to like um, lift that up for people. So it's it's like how then does the church if we say i think i think we're you know we've been talking about the fact that you know for maybe the last 20 to 40 years we've been kind of in the midst of some kind of reformation happening in the life of the church um, is the reformation that we're currently undergoing a reformation of the clergy um, in in a in a way so that we're not just again the expert presenter preacher, but we are the equippers of the saints for the work of ministry. So I just like flip it on its head. Me as a pastor leader get to say, wow, if I just train, then we've got like in my, my church, like this is the current said, I got like 400 pastors. Yeah. Like, let's think about it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're deploying people to those places and home for, for many is going to be the most concrete, understandable form of church for them. And so even if I have, and in our church now, we got five of these, like I, I say that oh, that's a, a huge win. And even if it's just five little house churches um, in every congregation, I mean, wow, that's, you know, in our context, that's reaching 70 people that the church isn't reaching. Mm-hmm. I call it a win. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Uh, I was really um, surprised and refreshed by the book uh, in a lot of ways, but uh, I'll lead with this. You know, um, I think sometimes... I come across resources about, um, you know, church at home, being Jesus at home. And and what I find is a set of prescriptions for parents on how to program church at home. Um, and, and what it sort of does is create a pressure uh, for, for parent um, to say, well, then uh, we've got to do you know, this set of devotions around the table in the morning before we go to school. And if we were good Christian parents at home, then we also have to do 
do A, B, and C, and the book becomes a set of instructions on um, how to program ministry at home and, and just get overwhelmed by that because, you know, it's it's full. Life is already full. There's already enough pressure to get out the door in the morning and juggle activities in the afternoon. And I was very nicely surprised uh, that you began with the things of marriage and home and family as so much more than uh, parenting, uh, a bigger picture of family than what we have uh, sort of prescribed. And you said that at one point you said something about the nuclear family having become this uh, idol of sorts, you know, for us. But um, my husband and I, um, Gannon, share some of your story. We struggled with uh, miscarriage and loss early on in our relationship and uh, many years of grieving over family. And last year we had a full-term stillbirth. And um, so so family has had this sort of complicated thing with children Um and I just, I really, really appreciate that you began that with marriage, right? Um, marriage is the central point. We've gotten some things really out of whack uh, in our world. And one of them is that parenting has become the uh, the center of marriage, right? My children come before my relationship with my spouse. And it, it's crushing um, marriages. And you flipped the script on that and, and reminded people that marriage was at the center of it, right? And that my marriage is a reflection of Christ. And that was encouraging and deeply convicting, right? To say we have to have health uh, and Jesus there first. Um, and so <laughs> so I guess it's not a question. It's a uh, thank you for not adding more pressure to parents to like do more at home. Uh, instead, it's how do, how do you bring Jesus into what you're already doing is, is really sort of what I get from that. Uh, how do you bring Jesus into the relationships themselves? Yeah, and, um, and recognizing that he's already more alive there. Yeah. It's it's about acknowledging that. He's he's just waiting, you know. Yes. It's the old uh, old hymn, the Savior is waiting to enter your heart. <laughs> Why won't you let yeah. him in? You know, it's just. And, 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 yeah, and we get parents at church, you know, as pastor, they're asking me questions like, what devotion book should I read with my kid? You know, and I... I just, well, now I'll give them this, right? This is, it isn't about a devotion book, right? With your kid in the morning. It's so much bigger than that. Well, and it's also this piece of like, as we've started to talk about this in, in our church, you have a lot of people going, well, I don't have kids at home because so much of the focus has been on, on that. So to start with marriage is incredible. One of my, one of my favorite Henry Nouwen quotes um, is that marriage is not a lifelong attraction of two individuals to each other, but a call for two people to witness together to God's love. I mean, that that's the ground floor of of marriage in that sense. So your your home can still be a house church, whether there's a bunch of kids running around or not. You know, your kids can be yeah. gone. You know, in many of our churches, uh, you know, that in this in the Methodist world, they're aging. They're they're aging really rapidly, and. Uh, and I'm looking at a church that's primarily, you know, over 65 and I, talking about kids uh, or parenting in faith, you know, I think it, they feel like, well, I'll have to tune this portion out for a while, but their home can still be right church uh, at married 60 years, right? <laughs> and at home together, uh, that can still be church in a significant way, just as much as a church that has you know, a home church that has kids running around and neighbors coming in. So um, I love that it addresses, you know, loneliness and isolation across the board, not just for a particular uh, group of people. Yeah. 
Yeah, one of the quotes that you bring uh, to your book, uh, the, the future of humanity passes through the family as does the future of our faith. You know, Pope John Paul mm-hmm. II, uh, as Larry was talking earlier, and, and throughout the book, there's just so many great quotes, uh, but just the, the the main idea that sticks out is kind of how you've 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 deconstructed or or maybe it's reconstructing the essence of church the body you know and how the body is in is in the family unit it's person to person uh you know we all come from a family we exist on this earth because there were two people that came together and um and just you know, pandemic uh, put that back in perspective uh, with the stay-at-home orders and such that we experienced. Uh, but just, uh, I think something uh, within what you said, the idea that churches, you know, we, we consider church the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, uh, and all parts have uh, value and participation and giftedness, but that body uh, is made up of smaller parts. And the smaller parts of church, you know, the, the larger groups are the small groups, are the families, are the individuals. And it's almost as if over the last few decades or more, we've forgotten uh, within with our cultural stuff and just everything that's happened in the world in the last, you know, couple hundred years uh, anyway, we've, the families have been attacked uh, and, and they've, they've fallen, they've, they've just, you know, the wars we've faced, all the, the, the struggles um, uh, of uh, for life. And here we are now, our churches are, been declining for how long? Uh, and why? Well, because the the cells that make them up, the, the the bodies that make them up, you know, if our bodies, if a cell goes bad, if there's cancer, it spreads. And so the church has had this cancer because the families have lost their identity as as to what they were created to be. And I just love how you're you're addressing that. And uh, I just I'd l- I want to hear more from you that what you maybe have experienced pre-COVID and and in your processing with with your uh, college ministry and and where you see this going and how to how to just how to marry the two the the family home unit and the the bigger body of families together which is what we call the church no that's that's right on and so what what we've done to sort of um in light of uh what we might uh describe as say the culture wars uh that the uh uh for lack of a better word the religious right lost those culture wars we uh, would do wise to, to stop fighting those culture wars <laughs> and uh, recognize that, okay, Jesus actually didn't talk a lot about the family. He said, who are my mother, my brother, and my sisters? Everybody does the will of God is my mother, my brother, my sister. So he reorients the family around himself. That's what I say in the book. Um, the, the first century Jewish culture and, and certainly in post-temple uh, Judaism, I mean, the family became like this, like it's a pretty tight, tight thing. Well, Jesus is, you know, breaking that apart, kind of reorienting it. Um, so then, you know, what, what I fear is that we, we have a reaction. So either we, we idealize the family as this little unit that you shouldn't, you know, mess with or touch and you've got to protect, uh, or you don't talk about it at all because you're afraid of alienating all the people who aren't married or all the people who ha- don't have kids or whatever it is. Um, and then you're afraid of talking about, you know, the, the re- repurposing of marriage or whatever it is. Well, okay, let's just, let's just acknowledge that there are families, there are marriages, and people need to know 
how to deal with that uh, before they're like asking for a divorce. Mm -hmm. Um, And so usually in church, we only talk to married couples before they get married or when they're in crisis. Mm -hmm. We only talk about families um, before you have kids or when your kids are in jail. Um, Okay. So how are we giving one another just the permission to be like, okay, this is your life. You have a family, you have a marriage. Um, How are you reorienting that around Christ so that it can be a a vehicle for everyone to find their true home in God? Because our true home is not our, our domestic, you know, house. Um, Mm -hmm. that, you know, I I just paid too much money for a house because I bought in 2022. Um, Oh, you you poor guy. You know, yeah, but before interest rates. But what what it really does is it it, it calls me to deeper dependence upon God because, yes, it's expensive, but it's it's a vehicle that the Lord is using to draw people to himself. So hopefully he's going to use our home to draw neighbors to himself. It's going to make us to be more dependent upon him as we're finding our home and him. If Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, nobody comes to the Father except through me. It's, it's Jesus is paving that way uh, to uh, the Father. And what's he using to get there? Well, he's using all the things. Um, and, and I think one of those things is, is family and, and home. So, so I, I, I'm not a, a Harley Davidson enthusiast. I'm not a, uh, a, a great visual artist. I'm, I'm not a, a wicked good soccer player, whatever, but I am married and I love my home and I love hosting people there. So perhaps that's a grace that I have. And, and if I've got that grace and my wife has that grace, I'm guessing that every, every congregation has at least several family that, that are just the de facto party throwers, youth group conveners, whatever it is. And um, I think if, if people are given that purpose beyond, you know, family is just where you, you know, you sleep and you eat, maybe scarf down a, a microwave meal once in a while. If you see a bigger vision for that, it's like, oh, no, I have permission to see my home as church. I have permission to my neighborhood. I have permission to put a gas grill outside my house Halloween and love the heck out of my neighbors. I mean, wow, that's that's like, I think it's really small and not nearly revolutionary enough for some Christians, but I think for the, for the average person in the, in the pew, that's, that's, that's creative thinking right there. And it's a way mm-hmm. to give them something um, practical on which to act that as you, as you say, as Sarah is not, um, Oh, Oh goody, another devotional guide that we can do, you know, we can start and do for a week and then we get too busy and we, and we stop. So all I say is like, we just get acknowledging Jesus in our everyday life. So, so I ask in the question, a question in the book, like, what is the liturgy of the family? Um, and some Christians hate the word liturgy, but like, like, let's just, or how is your day organized already? How can you bring some more intention into that so that you are doing the brother Lawrence sort of thing uh, Mm -hmm. by taking every thought captive to Christ as you do the things you already do. So with a little more intention as you wash your face, a little more intention as you make your bed, a little more intention as you tie your shoes, as you make lunches, as you put backpacks on your children, you're looking in the eyes, you're saying you are the hands and feet of Christ, go out there and be Jesus today. And that's probably all it takes. It does not require um, a family praying the the daily office or the mm-hmm. hours as, I mean, as, mm-hmm. as cool as I think that is, because we tried that for a little bit too, and it just doesn't work practically. 
Um, yeah. and, 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 you know, my wife and I have been challenged recently. We're trying to pray, and, you know, uh, individually in the morning and then at, at night together because it's just a new thing we're trying as part of our rhythm. But, but you know, man, we just like y'all, everybody give each other grace, just acknowledge Jesus in the everyday and, and just try. But again, adding a little bit of intention to things you already do and watch the Lord work. Yeah. Wow. wow. Yeah. And uh, to take that kind of to the next level. So, you know, it, it might begin with us seeing Jesus in the everyday at home, being really intentional. Uh, but then you kind of call us to a place of selflessness and says, you say that that really has to begin to look outward, right? Kind of beyond ourselves or we, or we do sort of turn inward and this becomes idolized. And so that you can invite people into that ordinary. Um, and, and, uh, you used a particular illustration at one point about somebody being invited in while the host essentially folded the laundry, but they could have conversation there in these ordinary places. And that, uh, making my home a church doesn't mean um, hosting elaborate parties, right, that are, you know, themed, but it is the intentional invitation to include someone else in my family. Um, I um, I keep getting nagged with a question that I don't, I don't, you don't have to answer. It's, it's uh, a struggle, I think, that we're all having in the established church, which is, you know, I think there are two groups of people. They'll either see this material and be like, yes, finally, right? Which which is any person my age and younger, to be honest, longing for community, real community, uh, real connection in places that aren't just institutional. Um, but, for a, but for some folks, there's like a, a switch that gets flipped, and this is a threat somehow to the established church. Uh, Larry's dealing with some of that in his dissertation work, but... Um, there's this protection uh, over uh, the the Sunday morning programmed you know version of church and anything outside of that sort of Christians get real nervous that it will take away from church and and be a threat to it. Uh, I don't see it that way. I see it as infusing right the church. But uh, since you're serving a church and doing this thing on the fringes, could you speak to that about how it actually is a help, not a hurt? It's a it's a total help, and I mean I think you you know uh, Larry from your research on you know kind of the the way that new forms of church might might get going, and and often as we go out to the edge, the edge becomes the center again in some way, and there are sometimes bridge back to church um, as we know it, and, and in our context, it's church with childcare because mm-hmm. for young families that becomes like the oh you mean there's a couple of hours a week where my children can get some kind of discipleship and we can too, and we can have some separate time together. Okay. That's a win for some busy families. So in, in our fam- in our church, for ex- example, there is an entire row of people now who came to us through uh, one of our, our this thing called the neighborhood network, but one of our neighborhood network uh, house church uh kind of expressions uh, that group's in in here on Sunday morning now. And so now we're challenging them to, okay, so now that you're here, what can we be doing, you know, back in the neighborhood? And so we're having that discussion with them, but it, 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 it did in this instance bridge back uh, because 
you know, there is still some religious memory with people. Mm-hmm. And they remember as a child, uh, Sunday school or vacation Bible school or, or some sort of thing there. And then, but then what we have to do in, in the um, Sunday gatherings in our, in our churches is to celebrate that, talk about that, and then just recognize, okay, that happened in this instance. But now, how are we equipping one another to go out there and, and celebrate what God is doing in the everyday? And then, and then church becomes... Um, um, I, again, I'm trying to figure out ways in a Sunday worship gathering where we do a little more education on these new forms of church and how we do a little more testimony time of like just what God's doing in our everyday life. And I think mm-hmm. if, if we can exp- like tell the story a little bit yeah, more intentionally, yeah. um, it, it does alleviate some concern about, well, if we're doing all this extra uh, external stuff, what's that? How's that feeding the the central operating system, but I think yeah. we have to honor the central operating system and then say, and what else can we be doing if we say, and in our church, we say we're building everyday people into everyday missionaries for Jesus. <laughs> so our, our, our mission's got to align uh, yeah. with yeah. everything that we do. Yeah. Gannon, I'm going to ask a question on behalf of maybe some of our single listeners. Um, towards the beginning of your book, uh, you talk a little bit about some of the foundations of these ideas came from your first shared living experience before you were married. And, uh, you know, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote pretty extensively about that in his book, Life Together, which you reference. Um, and so I'm wondering how you see any of these concepts functioning outside of the marriage covenant um, in maybe some of those shared living situations for single folks. That's, that's an excellent question because, you know, let's all remember that Jesus was single, uh, Paul the Apostle was single, again, flipping the script, um, you know, we're not putting marriage on a pedestal here, we're putting union with God mm-hmm. as the objective right. of our, our, our common life uh, in Christ. So, uh, for folks who are uh, not married at home, also is a little church can be. And if we're, you know, living in Acts 2, 42 kind of reality where um, we have the opportunity as singles to really experiment and really share things in common. Um, and in our work with young people really um, amplified this, but people literally who, who are saying, hey, we want to live in a shared house together. We want to buy groceries together. We want to kind of create a light um, way of life uh, where, you know, in our home, we're having a house meeting every week or we're eating dinner once together or we're, we're going to the grocery store together, those kinds of things. And so um, there's a lot more um, flexibility in life when we're not married and when we don't have kids uh, to sort of experiment and learn and grow. And again, it's about intention. It's like, are we going to sit around trolling on our phones, watching Netflix Um playing video games, or can we actually say, okay, there, there could be some hours in the week here that are going to draw us together as people on the way. And we too can open up our homes uh, to, to become a lighthouse for, for others in our neighborhood. So I, you know, I think it's great to experiment with when we've got a lot more bandwidth um, before we're married, or even if um, we are, uh, uh, end up in a situation where we're not married anymore, where we, a spouse dies, that sort of thing, where it's like, okay, I, if my true marriage really is with, with the Lord Christ, then um, 
how are these other things in life relationally helping me kind of go there? So um, it's, it's really, again, about relationships that we have together um, as a vehicle for union with God and, and home as a vehicle for union with God and, and those sorts of things. But again, I want to be really careful because it's one critique of, of the book and this sort of concept that you've got to be married to be on the way to union with Christ. And that's, that can be further from the truth. Um, it's just that if you are married, um, what if that is one of the most sanctifying things uh, that requires a, just a deeper appreciation for sacrificial love and self-giving? Well, if that wasn't uh, putting the nail on the head right there, there's a lot of there, there's a lot of work and to to, to to make marriage work uh, and uh, marriage done well is a sanctification process. Uh, can I get an amen? <laughs> amen. I'll, I'll, I'll plead the fifth. <laughs> <laughs> Baby, you are the you are the most sanctified. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it's really uh, ironic to me, and maybe it's the position, but. Um, uh, because there are people, um, I have probably seen more Christian community in people who are widowed, you know, and older, uh, than I've seen in families and sometimes young people, uh, you know, that family is, you know, uh, maybe the older you get, the more you realize that family is more than, you know, blood and obligation and, and sometimes even covenant, um, uh, but it's a, a, a series of relationships you choose to invest in, right, and um, and choose to find Jesus in. And I've, I've had some uh, widows and widowers that could, you know, just put me under the table with the way they exemplify open hospitality and service to one another and pursuing Jesus together. And and um, that's good news for many of our churches where there are, are, you know, just a massive generation that's now in retirement you know, going, how do I exemplify Jesus in this season of my life? And it's not parenting, but it might be uh, the way I extend my table to my neighbor and other people in similar positions. And um, Gabe and I um, have a, a son and he's adopted. And it's adoption, the process of adoption has just taught us a lot about family and about God and our identity in that family. And it's it's different. It's Sometimes it's chosen, right? And um, not automatic, and um, and if people could see it that way, that you can choose these kind of relationships. Uh, they don't have to be the sort of automatic standard that the the world labels. That maybe they can see more opportunity, you know, uh, to open them their homes, their tables. And I think a lot of older adults are looking for uh, a purpose and meaning. Again, it's like that uh, the after kids. That's you know, and and. and um, or they're hearing, oh, you mean I still have something to contribute? Mm-hmm. And it's, I and I love it because it's, it's like I think people who are in their seventies uh, and eighties, like it's like, you, and, and they've they've been the head of the church board and they've mm-hmm. been the thing. It's like here, but like be at peace. But what what else can we be about? And it's it it might be a breath of fresh air to go. You mean I could I could like host people for dinner or I could get to know my neighbors or I could, you know, create a, a, a book group or I could get to know people in the church. I don't know. It's like, again, it's like, it, but it is a, it is a, a script flip because a lot of people, again, are looking to us as pastoral leaders to um, create uh, 
engagement opportunities for the church. Yeah. So people come come to that and and what we have to say then is no, actually I'm going to create opportunities for you to be equipped and engage one another. And then you're going to take that learning and you're going to share it with your neighbors. And it's, it's not going to, it's not going to cost very much. It's just going to cost, you know, a little bit of your life and maybe, you know, a few bucks for coffee or, or whatever. And again, cause I'm not proposing anything here. That's like, I mean, if you like making elaborate meals for people go for it, but like, that's not the focus. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we learned some of this material from a group of Roman Catholics in Italy, and they do like to do food in Italy. And <laughs> they quickly discovered in their kind of way of teaching uh, this in modeling this way of life is that food became a competitive thing uh, mm. for them. And so they just said, yeah, don't don't focus on food. Um, you know, I'll maybe share some snacks. too, right? Um, well, yeah, right. And we, and we understand that, you know, even, you know, in the, in the pandemic, I mean, we had some of our most successful things were bring your own, bring your own dinner to this kind of stuff. And we, we went from running basically a, a dinner church for college students, 100, you know, 80 to 100 kids a week where we were spending a two to $300 <laughs> to bring your own dinner for zero dollars. Mm-hmm. Mm. With fewer people, but more committed people, yeah, and less stress and less mess and less work and mm. wow, um, so yeah, I I you know so it's like you know yes you know, use good manners you know if you're going to scarf down your food do it at home um, if you're going to bring it to the life of the church like let's share, but let's let's see it if we're gonna if we're gonna model this this body one body many parts then if we're if we are eating together then it's it's you know you you bring whatever you can to the picnic and um let, let's see how this works out uh collectively and that's that's a thing it's it's hard for americans to think collectively uh but as agents of jesus as as people of the the king uh living on the way uh, we have no choice uh but to think about the other and to mm-hmm. recognize our limits and go, you know what? I'm a limited human, but I'm in, but I'm in community with a group of other humans that make me better because yeah. they help it, it, me become who I really am. It's such a mind boggling time. This, the tension that, that I feel of like, we know the world feels Americans, I should say, I guess, feel more isolated and lonely than ever. And I think that's, we say it a lot about young people. I think it's true of, of older folks too. Uh, the pandemic just exacerbated that. And, um, and there's this deep desire for community. Yet at the same time, uh, when I think I or other people hear things like, you know, uh, live beyond yourself, right? Share your life with people. <laughs> I also get super anxious about being in community, you know, um, and doing that. It's, it's a weird um, pitfall that we have found ourselves in where we're so hungry for community, but so afraid of it somehow too. The social, an- the anxiety around that has really crippled people. And, um, and I don't know any other way to tell people, uh, but to just sort of try it, right? That, that at some point, you know, you have to sort of address the fear and the anxiety of it to invite people into your life. Um, but it's a, a very vicious cycle we found ourselves in. It is, and, and you know, or go to them. I mean, and the thing is, and, and I mean, this is true in marriage too. It's harder. The relational work is harder. It yeah. is easier 
to feel like we're in a room with all of our friends by trolling on our phones. It is easier to give ourselves over to work. It is easier to be preoccupied. And so we think we don't have enough time to cook or get in our car and go be with friends. I face it. You all face it. It's, it's hard to sort of like up, uproot for the day and be like, oh, I'm actually going to these people's house for dinner. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. I, I mean, in my little life experience, I, and I'm, and I'm just sort of like a borderline extrovert. I'm extroverted, but I was pretty happy with my quiet and the pandemic. Um, and I don't have kids. So there was that, but um, I, I tell you, I feel better when I'm around people. Mm-hmm. I do um, when when that is a, a reality at the end of the day, uh, but it it requires time requires and attention and, yeah. and and recognizing that uh, we we do have enough time. We do. We just think we don't because we are overwhelmed by all of the possibilities mm-hmm. <laughs> that yeah. exist. So it wow. paralyzes mm-hmm. us. Yeah. Yeah, I I actually sitting here listening to you talk about these things realized that I I misspoke at the beginning of this podcast before you hopped on we were sharing some of the things that we do in our families that kind of orient us around these these practices and um you know I was talking about how we engage in you know daily Bible reading and prayer uh, before we go to bed with our kids and things like that and then I said something about a less liturgical thing that we do being eating dinner around a table. And and I misspoke in saying that because liturgies are simply the practices that that we inhabit that form us, right? Mm-hmm. And that's really what what you're getting at here are these these everyday practices that we inhabit that form us in one way or another. And whether it's right. scrolling on a phone, right, or or watching TV or sitting down face to face with with people and having dinner with them these are liturgies practices habits that yes. form us um so my my question in in that uh you know in in your book you kind of uh reference Justin Martyr uh who would go as far as to say as uh go as far as to say that those who do not embody the practices of Christ but rather just speak the words of Jesus aren't Christians at all and how there is actually unlearning required uh, in order to be a follower of Jesus. You have to unlearn some of the more worldly liturgies um, and, and not, not life-giving practices that we inhabit all the time in order to learn the practices of Jesus uh, to, to learn what it means to be his follower. So, as you've kind of walked that path with people, how have you seen some of that unlearning take place? Um, and, and uh, you know, maybe whether it's your own family or some of the families in your church who who have engaged this process, have you seen kind of that transformation as they unlearn one set of practices and learn a new set? Um, again, it's modeled, it's caught, not taught, but you do have to um, make it, intentional or uh, spoken. You have to speak some of this stuff into existence. I mean, I think I, I for you, I, again, I model really well, but I think I, I would get frustrated if people didn't just pick up on the cues because I'm modeling. So you should be, because I'm serving you, you <laughs> should serve me and it should become mutual. Well, you do have to talk about it too, but sure. I will say we had, we, we've seen um, just wonderful uh, appropriations uh, over the years. 
like working with young people. I mean, you know, people always joke with us. Um, you know, I never used cloth napkins until I went to Gannon and Carrie's house. And, mm-hmm. and the thing is, we don't use cloth napkins to be fancy. It's just like, it, it, it's a lot easier just to wash them and fold them than it is to just keep buying, you know, paper stuff when you have a small kitchen, actually. Um, so I, I don't have room for this big, huge thing of napkins for the amount of people we have over. So um, we could just, you know, wash, wash napkins. Um, but that little thing of having a napkin, apparently, for people that makes them feel a little more special. So it's really funny watching people kind of be awkward about that and then, you know, get into the early marriage and then they'd have us over and they would have the cloth napkin. <laughs> and yeah. we didn't do, um, I, there was a season in my life where I would try to do like Compline at the dinner table or some kind of formal kind of evening prayer. And then I just got to the point, let's light candles and let's have two and let's call it the light of Christ who's fully God and fully man. And let's infuse this table with his presence right now in Jesus name. Amen. Something so simple like that. Well, then it's like, you know, suddenly you start going over to people's houses and they've got the two candles on the table. You know, so it's a little simple things that then people then appropriate in their lives and they start um, innovating on it. I, we had the most wonderful thing happen when we moved here uh, to Dallas. Um, uh, some of the, the folks on our, our pastor search committee and others had, had read the book. And they knew uh, somehow from reading that book that a house blessing uh, for our new home would be really meaningful to us. And they worked together and created a house blessing that I that they came up with on their own. We are, we are a Baptist congregation. We, you know, this was a new thing uh, for, for them, but um, they uh, selected scriptures for each room and printed them out on cardstock. And um, a a wonderful person um, arranged a little flower arrangements, little for every room. And they, they, they prayed and they give a devotional in every room and they put the flowers in every room so that there'd be the aroma of Christ there. And it, I mean, it was wow. like a total innovation on this. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't a priest in robes going around and noting, anointing doorposts. Um, it was, it was of the, it was it, it was really mm-hmm. the work of the people. Um, and so it's like, okay, church made this continue. So when we welcome yeah. new friends and neighbors, um, let's, let's do this. And you're reminding me that I, I probably should, you know, have some sort of means whereby we can, we can identify, you know, who's moving into a new home uh, so that we can yeah. uh, kind of engage in that, that practice of house blessing. That's really cool. Yeah. I, I think this has just been such a life-giving conversation that I think we could probably go on with forever. Uh, but at some, at, at some, <laughs> and at, at some point I think people are going to tune out. Uh, but uh, so what? I, what I'm what I'm hearing is what? just just a little more. You mean like geeky pastors talking about we could yeah yeah I get yeah, it yeah not so, everybody's as excited about it as we are. <laughs> but I, I think in the simplest form, what I'm hearing is just a little more intention in in those those daily activities that you do and embodying the gospel in your in your home, no matter what your home looks like and and how you do life, just. To have a little more, a little more intention, and 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 hopefully this is permission giving for people to, uh, to do that. And and then when you do, if you do um, develop some way to convene people for say a, a home gathering, I think in the book we outline just yeah. a way of gathering that doesn't require the printing of lots of paper or lots of 
preparation other than a, the, a prepared life uh, to facilitate a, what can become a, a Jesus-led conversation um, and time of worship. So, mm-hmm. you know, in the book, we sort of just outline like, okay, if you do gather in a home, what could it look like? Because again, I think people have just seen modeled for them um, a church like they have on Sunday morning, but in a living room. And, you know, we're experimenting with something that's a, a lot like lower maintenance. And I tell you, the richness of the discussion mm-hmm. and the richness of the sharing that really starts embodying, you know, the, the admonition of the apostle Paul, that, that when you, you, you gather that everybody has a word to bring them together. I think that's in first Corinthians 15. So, so I do just commend that to, to you, commend that to the audience, just kind of like, if you want to experiment further, if you feel like you got, you know, this thing you want to share and you do maybe want to convene or open up uh, space for worship, like be relieved that you don't have to have a guitar player, uh, a flat (laughs) TV on which to project lyrics and, um, you know, a fully worked out sort of sermon. Um, and nobody has to preach. Yeah. <laughs> what a concept. Like watch Jesus work. <laughs> if you give Jesus space to work, um, yeah. he will lead um, yeah. okay. to get out of the way. So Amen. it's been a pleasure. Yeah. Yeah. Gannon, thanks so much for being with us and sharing. And, and uh, we're uh, for the audience, we're posting the link to, uh, to Gannon's book there. Uh, grab yourself a copy of it and, and just, just do those little intention things. And, and like Gannon said, just, just, just watch what Jesus does uh, with that when, when he's made the Lord and center of, of the home. So again, Gannon, thanks so much for, for being with us and, and giving us some time for this. My pleasure. Thanks so much. Bless thanks you. Gannon. Yeah. Okay, so f- for our uh, fun segment to kind of wrap up, uh, by the time this airs, the World Series uh, should have wrapped up, uh, Phillies and Astros, uh, and we're all supposedly baseball fans. Uh, I'm probably a little more fanatical than the rest of you. So I want Just you three. Little. I want you Just three Cards fans to be honest. Did you watch any baseball after your Cardinals were unceremoniously swept out of the wild card round? Not a game, no, and I am but, still bitter about it. Nope. But I'm writing a dissertation. That's why. Oh, sure. That's it. Yeah. It's yeah. not. It's not because I'm like salty about it. I love so, baseball. I mean, a, a, as a just fan of baseball, I was kind of embarrassed for Cardinals fans uh, to see people heading for their cars. Uh, when the game wasn't over yet. And as a Cubs fan who's been tortured by Cardinals fans his whole life, not you three, you guys have been fine. Um, It's been my favorite line lately to say that the Cardinals only played two more games than the Cubs this year. That's it. That's it. Uh, and it, it, may, it may be said that they that, that they but didn't, it was two more games. But it could also be said but that it, but they, it was two more games. They didn't show up for those two games. Um, and the the Cubs swept the Phillies uh, at the at the end of the season there. So we could also uh, say the mm. Cubs didn't show up for those two games because they the, didn't get invited to play them. Just, you, you, you know what saying. the you know what the difference is between a hot dog at uh, at the Philly Stadium and Bush Stadium. 
you can sell it in October. You, you, you can still get a hot dog at Philly Stadium. So, all right. So, just to test you guys, uh, just to test you guys, I want to see if you can recall because most people can't. We've done this with the Super Bowl. Who the most previous World Series uh, champions were? So we're gonna go back. Uh, we're gonna go back ten years and oh. and see. And you'll also but see. This is just ironic because like you are the only person who will know the answers to these things. So you like you you you. He's set gonna us give us fifty fifty, right? Game give us 50, we don't 50. know yeah. the answers I'm, I'm, to. I'm gonna give you the fifty fifty. Uh, on it. Um, I would also like to point out that the Cardinals World Series drought is longer than the Cubs at this point. Uh, okay, so you are 20, correct. Uh, 2021. Uh, Anybody remember who the champion was? That was just last year. Adam? No. Braves? It was the Atlanta Braves beating uh, the, Houston, the Houston Astros four games to two. I'm sort what of a, a baseball fan. See? There you go. So, okay, then what about 2020, Mr. Smarty Pants? Hold on, hold on, hold on. Um, I'm gonna Google. Don't Google. Don't, don't go. You, know, you can't Google. It break the game. I'm. Uh, I, I'm gonna give you the fifty-fifty if it's a, he doesn't. Okay. Okay. Hold on. I think I only think I know this because we had a friend who was a fan, and I think it was the Dodgers. It was the Dodgers. Yes. I did not watch it, but but I I knew that. By by the way, whoever wins this, and Adam's totally winning right now, gets a gold star and 10,000 points. But I was only going to say Dodgers. I just Uh, let him talk first. uh, All right. 2019. No, Larry, we don't know any my, of them. My knowledge, and, yeah, my, my knowledge ends here. You got to give us choices at this All point. Right. It was the Washington Nationals versus the Houston Astros. 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 I'm going Nationals. The Nationals won. Damn. Oh, man. Uh, 2018 was the uh, Red Sox versus the Dodgers. I don't think the Dodgers won Dodgers. that close together, so I'm going Red Sox. Sox. Dodgers. It was the Dodgers. Uh, 2017 was again the Dodgers versus the Astros. 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 Nope. Dodgers won two years in a row. Dang it. Uh, 2016, do I I really need to give you who the two teams were? Come on. No. I'm married to a a Cubs fan, so I was watching that one. The greatest seven games ever played. Uh, Seems like so long ago. As a Cardinals fan, I will say it was genuinely fun to watch. It was an yeah, incre- it, was it, was a, a, it was a great game of baseball, and it, it was really just good for for the sport altogether. Twenty fifteen was the Mets versus the Royals. Royals. Oh yeah, it, it was the Royals. I remember that. Yep, that, that was the Royals for sure. Um, and then uh, we'll do we'll do one more. Twenty fourteen was again the Royals. Uh, versus the Giants, San Francisco Giants. I'm going to say Giants. Yeah. I feel like the Royals had a bit of a streak, but... Well, they got there twice. Well, I'll, I'll say Royals, but... Uh, it was it was not. It was the yeah. it, was, it was the Giants, but that's okay. And then that's the okay. Cardinals all the way back in 2011. Forever and ever. I, I mean, it's now been Car- over a decade... The Cardinals did go in 2013. They just lost to the Red Sox. Right. But but how many World Series wins have we had? You actually have the second most of any franchise. Um, so you have um, you have won the World Series 11 times. Uh, you've lost it eight times. Uh, and then, you know, the Yankees. Ugh. 
have uh, won 27 <laughs> times and lost 13 times. Um, That's crazy. That's a hard one to come That is back pretty from. crazy. And then uh, f- the the Philly, Kansas City, Oakland A's, because they moved around a lot, have nine wins, uh, five losses. The Red Sox have nine wins, four losses. Uh, Giants have eight wins, 12 losses. And I will admit the Cubs uh, have three wins, eight losses. Um, but uh, 1907, 1908, and 2016 were incredible years. For yeah, us. baby. Uh, and we're going we're gonna to have to wait another 100 years for um, uh, But, yeah, baseball's at the, at, wrapped at up. This rate, at this rate, we'll be rating 100 years for the Cardinals, too. So no worries. But we uh, so we're officially out of baseball season now and fully into fully into football and other winter sports that, you know, that hockey game that shall not be mentioned. Uh, but hey, uh, that's all the time we have for today. We hope you'll take time to buy Gannon's book. Seriously, it's uh, it's an incredible, incredible yeah. read for um, for every home becoming uh, becoming church, a priest at every elbow. Um, so we hope that you'll take the time to seriously explore how your home can become a kingdom outpost. And we believe that every home is a ministry hub that can be a house church. Uh, Join us next time. We'll be full fledged into Advent. So we're going to be talking about some of our favorite Advent, uh, traditions and how maybe this year we can actually slow down and wait for Advent, not the normal thing of just, uh, barreling through it at, uh, light speed, uh, that maybe this story, uh, is exactly what we and the whole world needs to hear. So thanks for joining us on Midnight Theology. And in the world's, uh, the words of Shannon Alder, all great beginnings start in the dark when the moon greets you to a new day at midnight. We'll see you next time. <laughs>